coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting. The International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Our wonderful guest today is Michael Tellinger, author, scientist, explorer, has become a real-life Indiana Jones, making groundbreaking discoveries about ancient vanished civilizations at the southern tip of Africa. His continued efforts and analytical scientific approach has produced stunning new evidence that will force us to rethink our origins and rewrite our history books. You are now listening to the Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Before Michael Tellinger, there were only novel speculation about the origins of stone remains on the continent of Africa. But with Michael's dedication to discovering and tracking and revealing vanished civilizations, it's now possible to reach into the minds of our ancient forefathers to discover a purpose greater than what we might have expected. And certainly it's now well acknowledged that they they were further technologically advanced than the present day and far more astute than what we are taught to the less than accurate caveman mentality of our educational systems. And recently, Michael has shared the stage with international celebrities like Graham Hancock, David Wilcox, Bob Dean, Carrie Cassidy, Dr. Stephen Greer, Stanton Friedman, and many more. Is this Michael? It is. Oh, great. We just got through actually introducing you, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with you today. You have so much to share. Uh, I'm just well, curious on how... you're presently on tour. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. I'm just curious on how you got involved in um, all of the research that you've been doing in South Africa. How did you get involved and find all these interesting facts out? That's an interesting question. Sometimes I wonder myself, you know, sometimes we are drawn into the areas of our lives um, because we have an interest in that field of research or study, and slowly but surely the things around us evolve and develop, and before you know, you, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, and you're suddenly doing all this stuff, and you don't really understand how you got there yourself, just purely because of that's a path that I've chosen, and um, it's something that I um, started working on a long time ago, researching, writing about, and and here we are. Well, well it looks like thing. you've taken it. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. 
Well, it looks like you've taken a step forward here. And, um, you know, you say it kind of evolved. Was there any particular thing that that kind of went, oh, my goodness, I just can't not <laughs> bring this forth for people? This is so exciting. And your heart just began to beat and pound and and with excitement, what what was that moment, Michael, that just stepped you into that into that that arena? I think it was probably when uh, I met a guy by the name of Johan Heiner in two, early two thousand and seven. When um, at that stage he'd been photographing and photographing the stone ruins of Southern Africa for about fifteen years from his aeroplane and helicopters. Uh, as part of his job in, in, as a firefighter in the forestry area. And uh, he was very fascinated by these weird stone circular structures that nobody seemed to know anything about and everybody was ignoring. And, um, and, then, in two, and uh, then in 2003, Johan discovered what has become known as Adam's Calendar, um, which is the title I gave it. And um, Johan um, came to one of my presentations on Slave Species of God, my book, that I'd written at that stage. And uh, and he didn't even know I was a South African. He thought I was an American author. So he came to my presentation, and afterwards he said, can I show you some of these photographs I've been taking? And, um, you know, uh, I don't know what these things are, but uh, they scattered all over Southern Africa. So he showed me these photographs, and I just knew instinctively that it was uh, inextricably connected to the origins of humankind, the activity of the Anunnaki in southern Africa, um, the gold mining. Um, I knew that it was connected. I didn't know how, but uh, but that's where I really started the process of research. And um, a few months later, when uh, I took a flight with Johan, over the stone ruins, and he showed me this calendar that he's been measuring for five years at that stage that nobody was paying attention to. Um, I realized that this is something I was going to be doing for a long time in, in, in years to come. How do you measure with a calendar? Um, how do you what, sorry? How do you measure with a calendar? I mean, what did you see? Was there something on the ground, or or what, what did you view well, the, the, this is what Johan found, uh, and he'd already been um, researching it for about five years by the time he met me. So he already figured out at that stage that the calendar, uh, which uh, which is now called Adam's calendar, is aligned with the movement of the sun, with the equinoxes, the solstices. You can tell every day of the year by the shadow of the setting sun. Um, and uh, it's it's a, it's a phenomenal sight, you know. For the people that have seen my work, um, they'll know what I'm talking about. For those that haven't, um, you know, either come to one of my presentations or get get the book Adam's Calendar or Temples of the African Gods, or which has now been re-released under a new name called the African Temples of the Anunnaki and a slightly um, upgraded version of that book. And it shows you very clearly how this is a it's still a working calendar, um, the stone calendar. Um, but as most, if not all, of the ancient monolithic sites, the calendar aspect, just like in Stonehenge, is not the main feature. It's just a built-in um, feature. It's not the main reason why the site, site was constructed. 
that reason, the main reason why it was constructed, only became uh, evident uh, several years later when we started doing some more in-depth scientific measurements and electronic measurements of uh, the energy fields at these sites. Now, did the calendar um, help you estimate how old the the, uh, stone circles are? Um, yes, in some way it did, uh, because it's uh, it's got many many phenomenal features to it. Um, one of them, one of the features that it it's aligned with uh, the rise of Orion's belt um, and three stars. And I'm just amazed, being in the United States, I look up at the sky at night and I don't see Orion's belt, and I feel quite lost because in South Africa we see Orion's belt every night, every day of the year. And it's uh, it's it's amazing. It's what I it's what I look at the sky for to see where Orion's belt is, and I know and I get my orientation from that. And it's just weird looking at the sky here in the north and not seeing Orion's belt. I feel lost, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, it's it's a main feature at Adam's calendar, and you can it's quite spectacular to see and sort of. Um, uh, like if you take shots um, over uh, several years on some of these star maps. Uh, these star uh, star map um, computer programs, and you see how the, the Orion's belt in the southern hemisphere um, lies flat on the horizon, and it lifts up, and then comes down again, and it lifts up over elongated periods of time, several thousand years. I think it, it goes in about thirteen thousand year cycles. So the Adam's calendar is aligned with the rise of Orion's belt, um, and uh, and and the dating on that was very interesting because. Uh, the, the first bit of dating that I got from two separate astronomers was about 75,000 years, and the other one was uh, 160,000 years. Um, but both of them would be incorrect because they didn't take into consideration some other important aspects of the calendar that um, we dis- that we we discovered as well by measuring the actual um, alignment of the north, south, east, west axis. Um, the, the the cardinal points, um, and um, we discovered that the cardinal points of north, south, east, west are out by three and a quarter degrees in an anti-clockwise anti-clockwise position, which is just insane. It's unheard of. It's not possible to, for north south to move, because that's where the Earth's polar axis is, north south polar axis. And that shouldn't move. And yet, Adam's calendar clearly shows that when the site was built, north-south line was not where it is today. And that's a that's a huge discovery in uh, realizing that the Earth has undergone great um, giant uh, disturbances and and violent, um, um, I guess, um, geo physical disturbances that at some stage has shifted the north-south axis from where it is today. That could happen again. Exactly, yeah. And as far as I know, it's the only site, uh, I don't know of any other site, that you can actually now physically and scientifically show that the Earth's crust has either shifted, taking the north-south line with it, or something else has happened, um, you know, indicating that that we've had such violent um, apocalyptic uh, events on planet Earth in the past. I don't know of any other site that actually has this encoded in it. 
Well, yeah, the stones remain. Yeah, that's 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 the amazing thing. The stones are still standing there. <laughs> well, I, uh, do I you read see that any still... images? Do, do you see any images that are carved in these stones um, that that are remaining in in their in their structures? Um, we have several images that we found. Um, the one of the key ones is in, an, and some people say, well, they they don't really see it. But I think when you're there, you see it very clearly. What I call the Horus stone. Um, it's very, very definitely a, a stone that's carved into the shape of a bird. But the stuff is so old that uh, it's so badly eroded that one has to realize that um, we dealing with really ancient activities and uh, and ancient carvings and ancient structures that have eroded and deteriorated so badly that they don't always look as neat and tidy as we'd like them to. And um, the, the Horus Stone is very clearly um, in line with the rise of the sun, just like Horus marks the rise of the sun in Egypt. And if you lift the Horus Stone up, um, it looks at, um, it would look, if it was standing upright, the way it fell, um, it would be looking at the three um, stones that mark the rise of Orion's belt. And so, just like you have in Egypt, uh, Horus um, indicating the rise of Orion and Osiris associated with Orion. So you've got the same uh, symbology and the same mythology that comes through at Adam's calendar as you have right on the opposite side of Africa in the north in Egypt at the Great Pyramid of Giza. And you said there's also a sphinx? There's also a sphinx, uh, a small carved sphinx out of dolerite stone. It's probably about it's probably about two meters long, between one and a half and two meters long. Um, and um, it's clearly a carved stone, but once again, it's very old, and, um, and that sort of connects uh, the, the the Giza Plateau with its giant sphinx through Great Zimbabwe, where there's a, a phenomenal story of two golden sphinxes that have gone missing in the early days of excavation, and then the sphinx at Adam's calendar. So you've got them all connected along the the Nilotic Meridian, which also happens to be the line of 31 degrees east, which also happens to be the line upon which you find the white, sacred white lions of Timbavati in South Africa. Oh, wow. I just gave me a How chill. much area, yeah, how much area does this cover, I, I, a space, I mean, where all these stones are? I saw some of the photographs, and I'm wondering, you know, how how, how big is the area yeah, this, this is this is really important for people to visualize. I must just distinguish between Adam's calendar and the stone circles. The the calendar is separate from the stone circles, uh, high up on a mountain on the edge of a cliff, looking down about three thousand feet into what's known as the Barberton Valley, and in that valley are some gold mines that are still being mined today. But I do believe that they are probably hundreds if not thousands of ancient gold mines that have been covered by by the sediment of the flood and uh, the flood evidence of that is the, is the uh, it can be seen in the 15 meter um, thick deposit of sea sand that we find in that 
Barberton Valley. And uh, it's a very fertile valley as well. Um, but so just remember that Adam's calendar is, is separate from the stone circles. The closest stone circles to it are, are a few kilometers away. It was, a, it was for a completely different purpose, but connected mm. to the stone circles. Okay, so it played a, a, a function, but uh, it was connected, but it played a completely different function. What um, the stone circles cover most of large parts of South Africa, I would say probably between one third and half of South Africa will you find the stone circles on the landmass, and pretty much most of Zimbabwe, which is north of South Africa. Uh, and uh, large parts of Botswana and some some areas of Mozambique. So it's it's a very large area. You know, it's it's uh, I would say it's yeah it's it's a large area for anyone that looks at a map. You'll see. Um, um, well, do they, the local people, the knowledge keepers, I think they call them the local people, the shamans. Do they have a story about the circles? Oh, absolutely. Um, this is a phenomenal thing. You know, when I first started researching Adam's calendar and and finding just incredible, phenomenal things like, you know, the fact that you lose GPS when you walk into the circle of the of the calendar. And uh, you've got to remember that there is no physical circle. It's just an imaginary circle. Uh, we can see from Google aerial shots that it was originally a circular structure. But um, when you're there on the ground, you can't really see the circular structure or any walls that that you find, like you find in the stone circles. The stone circles are clearly walls that make up a circle with no entrances. But but Adam's calendar, there's no no wall that you have to walk across, and yet there's a very defined circular um, effect that when you cross into it with your GPS, you instantly lose GPS signal. So that started making me wonder, how is that possible? You know, what's going on here? Why are we losing GPS signal? You step one meter forward and you lose GPS signal. You step a meter back and you get GPS signal. It doesn't make any sense. So it made it very clear that there were some very strange uh, uh, scientific and physical activities happening, energetic activities and energy fields that were active inside the, the calendar sort of circle or precinct. And uh, the ancient African knowledge keeper, especially, uh, I believe, um, the preeminent um, South African um, knowledge keeper being uh, Baba Credo Mutwa, and um, for many people will be familiar with him. If you don't know who Credo Mutwa is, I highly recommend you get a copy of his book that will blow your mind. It's called Indaba, My Children. And I think this is the book that really shook the world. Um, and Credo tells me, he told me when I went to visit him after I started researching Adam's calendar, um, I went to visit him at his house, um, and he lives very, very humbly and with his wife, and uh, he's an old man now, and he told me that he was initiated there in 1937 as a young shaman, and that um, the African name for uh, Adam's calendar is actually Inzalo Yelanga, or birthplace of the sun, where the gods created humanity, 
or as he called it, where heaven mated with Mother Earth. And so this goes back thousands and thousands of years. And uh, he also told me about the activity of the Anunnaki and, um, and how they are connected to the building of the site that was built by the Anunnaki entity or, or the highest uh, commander of the Anunnaki in southern Africa in the gold mining fields by the name of Enki. And in African shamanic tradition, he is known as Enkai. Well, Paula, are you there? Yes. I don't know. Okay. Michael? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. We, and we thought we lost I mean, you. So that's happened we before. We have funny little noises, yeah. So uh, why do you think there's no doorways in these circles? Well, because they're not dwellings, you know. So, you know, imagine if you find a, a stone circle of something like medicine wheels, Native American medicine wheels. They have no entrances, right? And we we know that they're not dwellings because they're called medicine wheels. And the stone circles are not far removed, actually, from the Native American medicine wheels. And uh, they also, for the same reason, have no doors and entrances because they're not dwellings. And uh, this took a long time to figure out because it's so obvious that you sometimes you don't see the wood for the trees, right? So you look at the stuff over and over again and you keep researching it and do measurements and so forth and and only to realize that, hold on, the one common denominator in all these stone structures is that in their original form they have no doors and entrances. Although many of them do have doors and entrances today, but those were alterations that were made more recently by people or tribes that have used these stone circles for their own benefit in more recent times. You know, if you were traveling through a, through a land and and with your small tribe or your family or and uh, and you came across a, a bunch of these stone circles, you would say, wow, this is fantastic. We'll use this. And you will adapt it for your own needs, and that's exactly what has happened. And unfortunately, this practice of adapting these stone circles has confused many historians, and they assume automatically that they must have been built by the people who left behind the pottery and all that. And that is not the case. They go back many, many thousands of years earlier. And the reason that they weren't have no doors and entrances, for, as I mentioned, they're not dwellings, but they actually are part of a giant energy-generating grid um, that was used to generate energy and process the mining of gold and the gold ore that was taken out of the ground. So that's like free energy that is yeah. possible possible for us to have. Absolutely, and, and uh, you mentioned the word, free energy. And, um, you know, if you mention the word free energy these days, you're very quickly sidelined. So let's make it very clear for everybody. We have free energy. We have more than 10 million stone structures in South Africa and Zimbabwe, each one of which gives us free energy. I haven't measured all 10 million, but we've measured enough to determine that they are all energy-generating devices. And they don't just give us some energy, they give us huge amounts of energy, energy that has never been measured on planet Earth before in terms of the sound frequencies that they generate in the gigahertz. Now, gigahertz of sound frequency is an incredibly high energy signal. If you know how to convert that into energy or electricity, 
you'll have an unlimited su- supply of electricity or energy. And, but we've got to first start looking at elect- or energy from a different perspective and stop using electricity as a form of energy. But unfortunately, electricity is what we've been sold because that, you know, that, that serves the needs of those who want to control and measure the flow of energy. So they use electricity so that they can measure it and they can, they can package it nicely and charge us for it. <laughs> it's exactly what Nikola Tesla didn't do, right? And that's why we don't use Tesla energy today. But these stone circles create so much energy uh, in sound frequency and gigahertz of sound frequencies that are then converted because of the mo- circular movement of the of the sound frequency that comes out of the earth or the vibration or should I say the resonance of the sound that comes out of planet earth and that resonant effect of the sound gets converted into electromagnetic fields that we've measured coming out of these stone circles in incredibly large electromagnetic um, fields, very, very powerful. So maybe the size of the, the circle itself or, or um, you know, how, how it was constructed may be higher in the back than in front, so this creates a certain sound, a certain energy, do you think, or what are you contributing um, that you can visually see so that people can understand maybe how this is coming about. Yeah, the the circles are, every, every circle is unique. So they vary in size from small ones to a few meters across to very large ones. You know, from um, the largest one we have um, been working with to date is about 150 meters from the one end to the other um, with internal structures and and the internal structures are very similar to what you would find in cymatic patterns. When you put sand on a metal plate and you put a speaker under it and you, and you put sound frequencies through the speaker, through the metal plate, the sand on top of the metal plate starts to vibrate and move and create these beautiful circular patterns. And that's known as cymatics that Hans Jenny has shared with the world in the 50s and 60s. And uh, and that's a phenomenal discovery about how sand, how sound manifests physical form in through sand or stone or physical material, and uh, and that's really that comes down to the whole creation process uh, in in the universe out of resonance and sound and 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 the creating of the morphogenic field, how it morphs into into physical form through sound and resonance. So this is really what the stone circles are. They they are representations of the sound and cymat the sound of Mother Earth as it comes out and and hits the surface. Um, the way they were constructed um, is most likely by some form of activation, um, by creating a, a circular um, standing wave of sound and energizing the space. In, inside the circle that will then draw out or respond to the sound frequencies that are naturally coming out of Gaia, Mother Earth, and, um, and creating the cymatic pattern uh, into either sand or ash that is put inside the circle. So just like sand on a metal plate in a small experiment in the laboratory will do that, you're now doing it on a much larger scale, activating it with your own 
sound frequencies that you generate, like a speaker would generate the sound frequencies, but now you're generating your own sound frequencies um, in a circular, uh, in, in a circle, uh, with stones that have acoustic properties. So this is all a fascinating new understanding of how we can generate free energy by tapping into the sound frequencies of Mother Earth. I have a question. With Adam's calendar, do you, I'm, this is just a hit I got, they were using the calendar because at certain times of the year, the frequency would change as, as the year, I mean, as the seasons change. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I've got a feeling it, it's, um, it's more than a feeling. I, I'm starting to understand why these ancient sites are aligned to the movements of the sun and the equinoxes and solstices and why at certain times it hits certain rocks or certain parts of the calendars or the tomb or whatever. Because remember, light con- conducts and, and contains information and also energy. So, and, and the stones that are used in these ancient megalithic sites are filled with the most advanced technological substance that we use in modern technology today, and that is silica. You know, we use silica in our silicon chips and in computer chips and and um, and laser beams and fiber optics. It's all silica, and and yet all the rock in the world contains most of the rock in the world contains between fifty and ninety nine percent silica, and <laughs> and quartz, which is quartz, right? So right. you realize that by by understanding how to use silica and quartz in its natural environment in the rock. You don't need to extract it and create fancy, shiny, metallic objects that you can sell to people. That's all about, you know, that's because of the capitalistic, consumeristic society we've been trapped in. So what we're dealing with is people that don't need to sell anything to anyone and have an advanced knowledge of of the laws of nature will use the laws of nature in its natural form. And rock is the natural form, so use the rock. So you can encode the silica in the rock with whatever you want to encode it with. It can hold memory. It can conduct information. It can store information. It can conduct energy and store energy. So you can also embed it with a certain clock or like a timing device that that will activate a certain aspect of the site, whether it's Stonehenge, whether it's Adam's calendar, whether it's any, whether it's the Great Pyramid. So as the sun hits it on the the winter solstices or the summer solstices or the equinoxes those are like clocks so it's like you, you've created like a timing device to make sure that this device that you've built gets activated by the rising sun or the light of the rising sun every 6 months or every 3 months to keep the clock going and it it's really when when these things start to fall into place and understanding how Advanced technology is not in little silver and shiny metallic objects or or computers. That it's actually in the nature around us. That it's deeply embedded in our bodies. That our bodies are, themselves are advanced technological devices uh, that are far more effective than anything we've ever created or built. Um, you start to realize how completely unaware or ignorant we are of 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 what is going on around us and what technology really is. I'm just I'm just picturing all these uh stone circles in Africa. It, it feels as though there's enough free energy in to give energy to all of Africa from the the circles that are already there. 
Well, there, there's probably enough energy to, to give energy to the whole world, uh, not just Africa. And I suspect that this technology is, was used all over the world, not just in South Africa, but in other parts of the world as well. And, and um, I suspect that Area 51 is utilizing this technology for whatever it is that they're doing there. Uh, that are found on Google Earth, uh, very suspicious structures that I believe are connected to similar stone circles. Um, the, the, unfortunately, the definition on Google Earth is not good enough over Area 51 to be absolutely sure. Um, but I, I found what I believe to be stone structures that are similar to the ones in South Africa, circular stone ruins that are well hidden beneath the soil. Um, and that they re-engineered the technology and are using it in Area 51 because there are more than 200 very suspicious circular, modern-built circular devices that I don't know what they're using for, but I suspect could be connected to what we're talking about here. The, the generating of free energy and, and converting it to all kinds of other things. You know, it sounds like also that maybe the activation, I mean, the the pureness of, it's like a, uh, what you drop a pebble in water and all the rings go out, and I mean it eventually reaches every part of the world. And not only that, but if there's other areas that are activated by this as well, yeah. like you say, this it's a natural um, <laughs> uh, catch catching. Wow, storage I mean, device. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And not but, only but that, also, but you, what I can you also can, tell you is that that. Um, you know, some of the stone circles are very clearly built in the shape of, uh, well, with with the uh, with the understanding of what we today call modern technological devices. And today we give them names, and the one name specifically is a magnetron. And a magnetron is a is a electronic device that's used in generating huge amounts of energy. And and it's interesting because it's called a resonant cavity magnetron. And it brings back to comes back to resonance and sound. So with resonance and sound, modern technology, magnetrons, create huge amounts of energy that we find in microwaves and laser beams, and you know laser beams that cut metal with their lasers in a split second. So you can imagine how much energy these magnetrons can create if they are giant, 20 meter diameter magnetrons compared to a tiny one inch magnetron. Uh, that can cut metal in a split second. So um, I've had several psychics uh, tell me that the magnetron devices that that I've um, or that that are part of the giant energy grid uh, in South Africa, each one of those ma giant magnetrons is capable of generating more energy than the entire global supply today. Wow, that's mind-blowing. So does that reach, you're looking at maybe reaching other planets, if that's the case? Yeah, that's that's also very interesting. And But that, that now, now you're getting into um, some more sinister activity that seems to be connected to this ancient um, activity on planet Earth by the Anunnaki and possibly other beings as well. But uh, it, it gets really interesting how we are, getting to areas of new information all the time and that's what i guess makes this journey so exciting well it's through the um that's how the pyramids were built through the vibrational frequency i mean that's that's what i was told anyway <laughs> yeah 
Well, it, uh, my understanding at the moment is that it, they build with sound because sound sound levitates. You know, people yeah. don't know that. Most people don't know that sound levitates. Sound very clearly levitates things, and you can levitate anything with sound frequencies. If anything, you can. That's how the planets are kept in orbit through sound resonance. Everything is in harmonic resonant frequency, and 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 and, and unity um, resonates together in harmony and. Um, so if sound is a source of all things, that means that sound can be used for all things, and that includes levitation for crushing things, for drilling, for um, extracting and separating minerals and materials, and this is why sound was used by these ancient civilizations who knew all this stuff for everything they did. And But, you know, we're onto it now. We're starting to figure this out. When I was in Egypt at the museum in Cairo, I was staring at something, trying to figure out what it was, and our guide came over, and he told me, oh, that's part of the um, instrument that created the frequency that helped build the pyramids. And he said, but that's just my opinion. So oh, that's, that's, where I that's got fascinating. That. And you saw that in the Cairo Museum? Uh-huh. He that's said it, it wasn't whole. It wasn't whole as it, you know, it was originally made, but because that's part of the uh, instrument that created the frequency. Can you describe what that what that um, uh, artifact looks like? It, it's like it's a flat. It's flat, and it's like almost like a uh, huge record, or and it had um, like lines in it, really fine lines. Okay. And circular, Paula. Was it a circular line yeah, or a straight yeah. line? Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. No, the 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 lines that were engraved in it were, went around with it. It was like it's a okay. So it was like a like an old record, uh, gramophone record. Right. Oh. Okay. And did it have a hole in the middle? Right. Yes. It had a hole in the middle, so it was a round. Was uh-huh. it a round flat stone? Yes. Okay. Yes, I was I staring report- at it, trying to. Yeah. Pardon me. No, go ahead. I was, I was staring at it, trying to figure out what it was, and he came up behind me and told me the theory behind it. Now, that's fascinating. So this is re- clearly somebody that that has a has has gone much further than what the the normal Egyptology um, storylines are, because they they're not supposed to tell you anything other than what they right. being told, right? Yeah. Well, he well we were on a spiritual, so he wasn't the normal. Guide that guide. get from yeah. the yes, yes. Yeah. Well, that's that's excellent because I I recall actually seeing that device in the Cairo Museum. I need to go back and look at my photographs and and try and remember what my thoughts were on that. Um, I forgot about that. So thanks for reminding me. This will, this is going to be a very critical little missing piece of the puzzle. And uh, and uh, it's it's little discussions like this. You see, that now that you told me and remind me of this, I think I'm, I have absolute. Very strong sense that it's gonna it's gonna fit in somewhere very very critically. Wow, I'm getting chills again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, because you see what what happens is that, and this is what happens. You you talk about you talk to people all over the world, and they'll throw something out completely oblivious of how important that little piece of information is. Um, but you know. To somebody that has had experience or 
is in the field of research, it, it may or may not mean something very, very important. What I can tell you is, is that, for example, these the, what I've discovered are these cone-shaped tools, which I now call the, the ice cream cone phenomenon, and these cone-shaped tools that were used not only in southern Africa but were used in the United States in modern times by Ed Leeds Colnan and in Florida at Carl Castle. They were used in Egypt, cone-shaped tools as well to do with sound. They were used in North America, um, cone-shaped tools. And the reason I know this is because the African med uh, the American medicine men, when they hold their sacred ceremonies in the kivas, use two cone-shaped tools to, and they hit them together to make a sound. Now, I'm not sure if the modern-day um, shaman or medicine men in North America know the reason why they do that. I'm sure that the, the genuine ones will know. But I think much of this, inf much of this sort of um, um, activity has gone lost to many of the people that just perform the rituals without really understanding why they're doing it. But that all goes to sound, to generating sound frequencies and, and using the cone-shaped tools to focus the sound into what could be described as Sazer beam or Sazer technology as opposed to laser technology. And, and it's just everything comes back to sound. It's like the monks singing in the temples. <laughs> you know, yeah. you have this sound that goes out and resonates and puts the body into health and... Yeah, and uh, and keeps you strong. Well, yeah, the, pretty amazing. The Tibetan monks um, have been using um, those long, strange-looking trumpets of theirs and and horns uh, to levitate and move giant blocks around for a long time. So they've maintained this technique and the technology and the know-how for thousands of years. Uh, I think the technology they use today is probably not the most advanced or the most um, uh, useful way of doing things, but it still uses sound to move giant blocks around and manipulate it um, the way they want. Um, I think the, that the guys that, for example, built the pyramids, like you said, that that device was used to build the pyramid to put the stones in place, uh, we also need to keep in mind that with sound you can change the the vibration of the stones so that they become soft, like plasticine or clay, so that you can mold them into exactly the shape or or, or whatever you want. So um, it becomes very easy to get stones very close together or molded right into each other um, in ways that today just doesn't make any sense. And we see those kind of molded stones in spectacular fashion in some, some of the ancient ruins of Meso and South America. Wow, well, I well, get chills all over. <laughs> what's amazing to me is when you said it, I knew it was true, but I hadn't thought about it. The um, stones, we can engrave memory into the stones. So... The yeah. stones that are creating vibration can do it different ways at different times of the year, and that that was just amazing. Yeah, it's, mm. you know, it's just we're, we're we're just completely and utterly dumbed down. You know, we're like the lowest level consciousness that humanity has probably been in in hundreds of thousands of years, 
and yet we have this incredible potential to snap out of that virtually overnight and reach the highest potential of consciousness and we are moving in that direction and that's what makes this journey so exciting because we so many people that are waking up and realizing and recognizing and this 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 level of knowledge and tapping into the morphogenic field and downloading this information and just suddenly being enlightened becoming enlightened very very quickly and and uh, and this is all predicted wasn't it that we are reaching the age of enlightenment i think we're giving we've given the wild card and we better use it <laughs> yeah i think uh, <laughs> no, because that's what Greg Braden said. You know, we're at at the point that we, you know, we can shift right now. So, absolutely, yeah. and and I think that you know what what you're doing with your show and what millions of people around the world are doing is is shifting this paradigm very quickly. But it's not always apparent to everyone, and especially. Well, many people that that would be that could be called and and are called light workers that are changing the paradigm, that are bringing in higher consciousness, sharing information. There's so many millions of light workers doing different things in different fields, and each and every one is equally valuable because they're all contributing very critical parts of the the puzzle and and creating a new unified paradigm and and a new growing unified consciousness on this planet that we need to nurture. And, and be very proud of. The problem is that because of the segregation and the separation and the the absolute draconian measures that the governments and the mainstream media have taken to keep us divided and keep us separated, many of these people and light workers that are doing this incredible work often don't know about each other. And even when they do find out about about each other, they are still influenced by the residue of the separation that that is enforced on us in our society. So many of us are still filled with with doubt and skepticism and and fear and and um, and uh, and we're just wary of other people and and we don't always open ourselves up. To sharing things, so it's this, this division that is used against us. So we must just be aware of this: that the people that are working in this field of of sharing enlightened information don't feel lonely. Don't think you're alone out there. There are millions of people out there, and realize that that you can very quickly and very easily connect to all those people and what they're doing because of what you're doing and the resonant field into which you have plugged into. You don't need the internet. To, the yeah, internet's it's, it's really the cosmic. Connect. It's the it's the cosmic internet. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael, now, would you I have please a very, tell us? Go uh, ahead, I was going to say, I, I have a real practical question. Could um, the uh, the South African government? Uh, I mean, I, have you shared this with them so that maybe they could use this for free energy? I mean, <laughs> Come on! <laughs> I know. <laughs> South African government, just like the American government and every other government, is owned by the banking families. They're owned by the bankers, and uh, they're not going to do anything to to make it easy on the people. They will do everything to destroy this information, and they're trying their best to make sure that free energy doesn't reach anybody. It's the last thing on their mind. So we've got to go out there. We've got to bypass their draconian measures and their draconian attempts to to keep people, you know, enslaved and 
and find how to tap into this free energy and then share it with everybody instantly and as quickly as we can on the Internet using that, that technology so that everybody knows how to do it for free. It's supposed to be free energy, not free yeah. from Mother Earth, and then we sell it to the world. That's no longer free energy. Free energy is if you discover something, you tell everybody in the world, wow, look, I discovered free energy, and this is it. It's free. Use it. So that Michael, we all we need have you, access to it. We, we need you to tell us about your book, uh, Temples of the African Gods. And um, can you get that on your website or Amazon? And tell us a little bit about the book. Right. Well, I have three books, and a fourth one coming out very, very shortly. My first Ooh. book is um, Slave Species of God, which has recently been re-edited and re-released and upgraded. It's, that's called Slave Species of the Gods uh, from Bear & Co. Inner Traditions. Uh, they're all available on uh, Amazon and in various bookstores. And if they don't have it, please ask for it. They can order it and get it. Um and then the second one was called Adam's Calendar, which is really the story of how Adam's Calendar was rediscovered in 2003. And uh, it's a lovely story and a very important story. Otherwise, we wouldn't be even having this discussion because I wouldn't have known all this stuff if it wasn't for Adam's Calendar being rediscovered. So, And then my third book was Temples of the African Gods, in which I put together the story of the, the stone circles and how many they are when I realized that there are more than 10 million of them. It suddenly puts a whole new spin on, on a truly wow. vanished civilization that we know nothing about, only to discover that the stone circles are actually energy devices and not dwellings. That makes it even more mysterious. So it, in a way, uh, in many ways, uh, Temples of the African Gods is a physical... A proof and delivery of evidence for much of what Zachariah Sitchin had been writing about in, in many of his books, in all, well, all of his books, that there was a vast vanished um, gold mining um, operation at southern in the southern tip of Africa that was set up by the Anunnaki, and I now present the physical evidence that that's absolutely true and absolutely correct, but much larger than we ever could have imagined. And then my new book, which is about to come out, it's called Ubuntu Contributionism, uh, a, a blueprint for uh, for human prosperity. And that deals with what we learn from all this information. How do we take this knowledge of ancient times, hum humanity, the en enslavement of humanity, through these bloodlines uh, where we are today and how to remove ourselves from the slavery and, and uh, start bypassing the draconian measures and creating a beautiful world for the human race that is based on no money, removing money from the system, and operating on uh, communities that work together towards the, the greatest benefit of all the people in the community. And um, yeah, creating prosperity for all without any money, because the moment you remove money from the system, you've removed the hurdle to progress, and everything becomes absolutely possible and the, the flow of energy comes through without any hurdles, and it's a spectacular um, utopian vision that we are all entitled to. Wow, thanks for sharing that. Okay, your website is Michael. Yeah. MichaelTillinger.com. Okay. And um, is there anything else that we haven't touched upon that you would like to share um, uh, you're also on tour. Yeah, well, I think that's probably the most important thing, you know. 
Uh, I'm on tour of the United States. I've already done, uh, I think, eight cities, eight or nine cities. I've just finished Contact in the Desert, um, which was spectacular. Joshua Tree was some of the biggest names in the business, uh, including Suzanne Taylor and her spectacular work on crop circles. And um, and uh, Graham Hancock and, uh, oh my goodness, there were so many big names there. Um, and uh, now my tour continues. I'm in Los Angeles tomorrow night. That's Wednesday. Um, then we go to San Diego, Phoenix, Sedona, Taos, Boulder, Dallas, Austin, Chattanooga, and New York. So we still have 10 venues, 10 cities in the United States. But go to my website, michaeltellinger.com, and click on the banner, the USA banner, and that will open a page with the full schedule of the cities and the dates. Great. And where, uh, where are you going to be within the next few days? Well, as I said, tomorrow night, uh, Los Angeles. Um, okay. And uh, I, I can't remember what the venue is called now off, uh, off the top of my head in Los Angeles. Oh, it's called the Gateway, the Gateway in Los Angeles. Some people may be familiar with it. It's in West, uh, in, it's in West L.A. And, um, and then after that, Friday night, uh, I'm in San Diego. And then the next, on Sunday, I'm in uh, Phoenix, um, Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona. Well, have you seen any circles in the United States? Oh, yeah. There, there, there are plenty of circles in the United States. I found many. If you start looking on Google Earth, you'll see them everywhere. Um, I'm not sure what kind of circles they are, if they are also energy-generating devices. But I have a suspicion, I'm starting to believe that any kind of stone circle that you create uh, will automatically um, become an energy-generating device just by nature of the fact that the Earth rings like a bell, as Nikola Tesla told us. The Earth rings like a bell, and she volunteers free energy to us through the sound of Mother Earth, the sound that comes out of Earth. We don't have to burn oil, we don't have to burn water, which is sacred, we don't have to burn hydrogen or oxygen or anything. We don't have to destroy anything. We can just use the sound of Gaia for all our needs. And not only does she offer up her free energy to us, with that energy, with the sound of Gaia, we also enhance the growth of food. We do every possible imaginary thing. We can elevate. We can levitate things. We can mold rock. We can do all these things that we've discovered, all because we can tap into the free source of energy that Gaia is offering up to us every split second of every day. Now, I have a real quick question. Uh, in Egypt, they have obelisks. You know, the. Yeah. I think, yes. Is that for sound also? Absolutely. Now, for people that come to my presentation, we'll get the whole new um, area of my research that includes Egypt, it includes all the other ancient sites in the world, how they are connected to the stone circles in South Africa, and what the main purpose was of all these ancient sites. And it is not what we've been taught. It is something so different, so sinister, and so mind-blowing. And it, it includes the obelisks in Egypt, because they also are sound energy-generating devices or conducting um, devices. They're like giant antennas. They, re they ring like bells, like the stones in South Africa. That I say they ring like bells. Yes. The giant yes. obelisks in Egypt do exactly the same thing. And that's probably why the ancient Egyptians wore the uh, crowns with the point up. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I haven't yet figured out how that fits into it. But um, just about two months ago, um, this is brand new research and brand new discoveries that I've made that connect all the ancient sites in the world. And I can't say all of them, but most of them. And I would probably say all of them eventually, if we start looking, you know, analyzing them deeply enough. But they are all connected to and to the use of sound and uh, energy generation but what and how it was created and how it was used and what these sites actually were is just mind-blowing when people discover this every time people come to my presentations now it's like this huge like <laughs> this is aha moment for everyone oh my goodness how could we have missed this all these years is that what your newest book oh. is about how you're connecting all the the, um, um, no, the, the, no, no, the new book, the new book that I mentioned, Ubuntu Contributionism. That's about, uh, you know, um, Blueprint for Human Prosperity. That talks about contributionism, okay. world without money. I connect the dots from ancient times to today, and why we are so messed up. Why the world is so messed up because of the total enslavement of the human race. The, my new book after that will be connecting all these dots and uh, and sharing this information. I'm, I'm probably going to start working on that uh, within the next two months and hope to get it out within the next um, six to eight months. Hmm. Well, you have your schedule cut out for you. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness. Well, you know, this is so important. I mean, uh, really bringing history to the forefront that people really need to know about and uh, we we are so thankful that you that you're on your path. <laughs> well, thank you, thank, a, for, thank you for, to people like you. Who, our, I was just going to say everything is so underneath our nose that we can't even see it, <laughs> and yeah, you're bringing exactly. it forward. We thank you for all the work you're doing, and thank you for being with us today. It's just mind blowing. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, um, and. Uh, and thanks for inviting me on your show and and hopefully i will I'll see you at one of my presentations in the u s a hopefully if I'd known about Los Angeles a little bit sooner, I would have been there <laughs> so um <laughs> well, keep us informed about your new upcoming books, and we'll keep you on our on our radio uh telling us more and more uh, we would love thanks. to have you back thanks Taz and Paula. Thank you so much. Lovely talking to you. Thank you, Michael. You too. Have a great tour. Bye now. Bye-bye.